this is absolutely wrong. You judge people, you make a judgment, you know, by the way they look, their skin color, you know, the type of hair that they have. Like, it's absolutely wrong. So I only realized that by just, you know, getting to know Jesus Christ and following him. Well, that's good. I think, that, again, that's that intellectual humility. You recognized it in yourself that, hey, this isn't right. There's got to be another answer. Through religion, you found a better viewpoint. We at the Collective Perspective Podcast have set out on a mission to understand some of the most impactful and controversial trends and topics in our lives today. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm Travis. I'm DJ. Can we find common ground in the middle in a peaceful manner? Not for political gain. But for real community benefit. We believe so. As veterans and concerned citizens, we are bringing together diverse views and fact-based research to navigate this tough terrain in search of a viable path forward. Only time will tell, but if we listen with open minds and try to understand each other, we just may find a solution. Or two, collectively. That is why we care about what you have to say. If something piques your interest or ruffles your feathers or tickles your fancy or whatever else you'd like, leave us an audio message at podinbox.com backslash collective perspective podcast, all one word, or directly on our show page at mtsjax.fm backslash collective perspective podcast. You'll have to log in, but that won't cost much more than your time. We'll be discussing your messages on the show, whether you give us a high five or say, hey, you better do some fact checking, fool. As long as it's positive and it's your perspective, we'll possibly give you some airtime. But remember, it needs to be family-friendly and not defamatory in nature. Hey, everybody. This is Collective Perspective Podcast, and we're here in sunny Jacksonville, Florida, talking with you collectively from the Main Street Suite at Mix Theory Studios. Collectively. The 90 Forward is commemorating Jacksonville's bicentennial with their 200 Race Card Conversations initiative. Igniting small conversations of racial healing and equity on a massive scale throughout 2022. Join the conversation. Our community can heal from the racial wounds of the past and build a future where everyone thrives collectively. Sponsored by the 90 Forward, this episode of the Collective Perspective podcast contains one of these conversations. Visit 90forward.org for more information on the 200 Conversations Initiative. That's 904WARD.org. A digital copy of the race cards are available for download through the Apple and Google Play app stores. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Jeff with The Collective Perspective, and uh, we have a special guest, June Bukani. And he's a new friend of mine that I met through some religious organization. And he is here today as a Filipino-American. And I hate to say that that's a label. Uh, he's a great guy. But here we are talking about race cards. 904word.org. That's 904word.org. They're sponsoring 200 conversations to celebrate 200 years of Jacksonville. Guys, thank you so much for having me. And my name is June Bacani. So I own Bacani Media Group, BacaniMedia.com. B-A-C-A-N-I-M-E-D-I-A.com. We are a digital marketing agency specializing in small and startups. We specialize in branding, platform, and marketing. We uh, started it back in 2017, just myself. Now I have a, a few people that works for me. And yeah, we do good work. So, hey, we're going to start a conversation. So here are the basic rules. We want to gather a group of four, well, we're almost going to be four. 
four to 10 people. Each takes turns. That's why it takes a while, Travis. Everybody pulls a card, and the person who pulls a card should respond to the question on the card. After the person finishes, others in the group can share their own responses and discuss topics in more depth. Got it? Listen to understand, not to reply. Ask questions when you have one. I can tell you that we've done a couple of these already, and tempers can be heated, just not communicating clearly. But sometimes these conversations get emotion involved in it, and when emotion involves into it. But the thing is, is when you walk away and there's no love loss, uh, I want to let you know that is the target. Nobody's here to try to annihilate someone verbally. Here's tips for good discussion. Assemble a diverse group. I think we've done that. You'll learn more about talking to people with different life experiences. Discuss each card 10 to 15 minutes and move on to additional topics. Share an example or ask for one if you don't understand something. These conversations can be difficult. It's okay to acknowledge your own response. Please open both to your feelings and to others. You guys ready? We are ready. All right, we're going to do a random one. I'm scared. Yeah, me too. What are some specific things affecting race relations in our community? That's a deep one. I think for me, number one is hate. And I, and, and I know it's a broad topic, but uh, we can start to hate people in general just by the way they look, by the way they act, by the way they sound. And when we do that, instead of, of course, opposite, it's love, right? It starts there. I guess an example of somebody says something to you that is maybe inappropriate in your culture, like that could just go off, especially coming from a country when there's there's only one race, you know, one nation. When I immigrated to the U.S., it's so challenging because I didn't have any experience being with any other race, you know, white people or black people or like Hispanic. Like we only had one. I have no baseline. I have no experience of this race but what i did have was family members who were here in the u.s that already had their own bias and their own hate towards other people so that played a major role in me formulating my own towards other races for us especially in the philippines like the lighter skin you are like you're considered elite even my, the soap operas my wife watches uh, the korean soap operas the uh, lao and thai soap operas any of them the lighter they are the more famous they are basically yes so if you walk into like um, a walgreens or a target and you check out the suntan lotion aisle it's reverse so the whitening lotion really is the whole aisle basically and the suntan lotion is like an end cap. So here, you you know, you, you barely find whitening lotion if you can, you know, unless... It's only going to be at the Dragon Store. Dragon Store, Asian Store. I remember in school, you know, if somebody is like a darker skin, you get bullied, basically. Versus like if you are a lighter skin. So I had a lot of that coming in to the U.S., you had uh, a lot of the bullying because of your skin complexion was a little bit darker than, say, the elites. From who? Other Filipinos? Actually, my skin is a little lighter compared to a normal Filipino. So I guess to clarify, I just have that light is better. To me, it's like they look better. 
and darker skin, you know, is inferior. And this is coming from an island culture that really only has one race on the island. Many of them have the same core belief that the lighter the skin, the more elite or the more privileged they are. And the darker the skin, they're more looked down upon. Yes. Okay. You stated that uh, there wasn't any racism, that there was one race. But socially, you divided each other by race, by a make-belief or imaginary race to me, maybe because I don't care what color your skin is. I don't judge you by that. I can't say that I've always been like that, but that's how I roll. And and I firmly believe that because I have my own past. I've talked about it on a previous podcast, but in Jacksonville, I haven't really experienced anything like that. Maybe it's because I'm white and I haven't really talked to anybody other than my friend, for example, she's uh, Korean and black. And it seems like the racial tension in the Asian community would be within the Asian community, not as much as outside communities. Because and maybe not just Asian, maybe Asian's too broad. But from my experience with Filipino people, one, they have great food. And two, they're usually the nicest people I've ever met. Maybe because they like me because I'm white. So in relations to Jacksonville, have you had any experiences here in Jacksonville that that you've experienced um, in the past? So as far as bad experiences, I probably have close to zero to none. Like as far as racism, mm-hmm. like looking. So where I'm coming from is like I knew what was put in my mind when I came to the United States. There are some cultures there are some race-specific issues that I was told that, hey, you know, they're like this. You were given like, a heads up on stereotypes? Yes. Okay. And when you got here, did that impact any future relationships or meetings with people? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, it's either you avoid them or you fear them or you be wary. You know, it, it's like their tag to where, okay... You got to be careful dealing with a white person because they tell the boss, you know, things that you do wrong in the workplace, you know, like so a black person, like they're normally not a hard worker. So those things, like I had that coming in as an immigrant and the fact that I should not have that. How long ago did you migrate here? So 2001. Okay. And did you come straight to Jacksonville? Stayed in Tallahassee for three months, then Jacksonville. And did you speak English? I did, yes. Uh, They do teach English in schools down in the Philippines. Philippines, yes. Most Filipinos speak uh, English. With that outlook or with that that bias that was kind of really given to you by those that you knew here already, how did you overcome it? And was it something that was easy to overcome once you actually experienced the culture here? It was hard to overcome, to be honest with you. It was very hard. And then your second question is, how did I overcome it? So I only overcame it like when I got to know Jesus Christ. I know Jeff, you know, you met me from church. So that's really the answer to that issue for me. I couldn't get over it because... Based off of my work experience, some of those stereotypes are true, you know, from my experience. So as I go along and meet new people, it kind of reinforced some of them. 
I was like, oh, yeah, you know, my relative was right. You know, yeah, the specific people are, are like this. Yes. So it kind of reinforced it as, as I go along. And then finally, when I'm like, I realized this is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. You judge people. You make a judgment, you know, by the way they look, their skin color, you know, the type of hair that they have. Like, it's absolutely wrong. So I only realized that by just, you know, getting to know Jesus Christ and following him. Well, that's good. I think that, again, that's that intellectual humility. You recognized it in yourself that, hey, this isn't right. There's got to be another answer. Through religion, you found a better viewpoint. Yeah, it's like one thing that I also like, it's one of the scriptures. God's man judges by appearance. God looks at the heart. So it's a good saying that's like, okay, I just have to keep reminding myself of doing that, you know. But yeah, it took a while, you know, for me, to be honest. I mean, the, the duration, it wasn't easy to, like, because as I've said earlier, there was validation of those stereotypes. Okay. How about you, Travis? I think the most specific thing is programming, media, TV, Snapchat, TikTok, you know, Facebook, Instagram. I think that affects a lot of it because you'll see stuff on there that will make fun of the stereotypes and, and it just perpetuates that stereotype even further and kind of makes it more ingrained and you don't even think about it. So I think a lot of it is media that keeps it going whether it's social media or regular media or there's something there to keep that divide if you will that's what i see affecting the relations in our community more than anything else as i've said many times on this show you get out and talk to your neighbor we're more alike than we are different we all want to make money the easiest way possible how are we going to do it some of us will work hard for it some of us don't want to work hard for it i mean that's just human nature right there. That's not any race or anything like that. So I think that when we do away with the media or not pay attention, not give it as much credit as it has, and we just talk to our neighbors, our community, even when we're talking with our network, we can see that we are more alike and there is no problem with doing business with anybody. You guys know what a model minority myth is? Yes. You do because I told you earlier. <laughs> what is the model minority myth and how does it impact the Asian community? Model minority. Let's break it down. A model minority. What does it sound like? It sounds like someone who would be the ideal minority, like a model is the ideal image. So I would say that that's probably where that's going. Yeah, it's referring to, how, let's say, since it's the Asian community, Asians in a model minority myth isn't always like a negative thing, but it can become negative from what I understand. And so one of those would be like we just got done talking about stereotypes. Those were obviously negative stereotypes. But for me to say, hey, June, you're Asian, man, you should know math pretty well. That's kind of like a boost, you know, saying, that, hey, you're an educated guy. But you're like, hey, Jeff, I, I'm horrible at math. So I see where that could affect you and your community because no matter where you're coming from, you come and you're expected to know math like the back of your hand or you're a nerdy kind of person or uh, you're expected to be this certain label. And we talked about it in our tribalism episodes 
and labeling people. There are good labels to have, and then there's bad labels to have, but I wouldn't say that any one person is one label. If they are, then I think there's some problems. Uh, if you're labeled one thing, I'm only a Republican, and I only associate that way. Not to pick on Republicans, but Democrats too. Like, if I only identify myself as this, then I need maybe a little bit of diversity in my life. Well, honestly, I, I like being labeled as, you know, you're supposed to be good at math. Like, person, well, of course, person. My inter- that, that myth is, uh, is it a myth, though, I guess, is the question. Oh, it's definitely a myth, and here's why. We did not have, coming from the Philippines, we didn't have this. Everybody's labeled the same, you know, if, if you're good at math, you're good in math. If you're good in language, you are, you know, good in language. I was actually good at language growing up, so I was artsy like music, reading, I would debate anybody. I was good in English, like I can speak straight English. And I remember when my early years, when I get drunk, I would debate all of my friends, even strangers, like in straight English. Okay, so this is my second language. So it's it's not true. Like only when I came to America, like that became like a thing for me, like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be good at math. I'm, I'm horrible at math. I did engineering, you know. I did all the math. I, I got into differential equations. That's the highest math requirement for an engineering course. But, you know, I was, I was pretty bad at math. I think immigrants, specifically Asians, that come to America, they're deemed good at math because that's what they needed to do to succeed in this country. Good point. I, I came with $5 in my pocket, like 2001. I was 20 years old, and I saved that up. It took me a while to save that $5. And I remember this is for my first American burger. And I remember from the Philippines, we have a, a Detroit layover. So, you know, I remember wearing this jacket, this this synthetic leather imitation not even leather jacket and a t-shirt and it was like zero degrees in Detroit and I remember it's like okay American burger I want an American burger and I saw this mom and pop kind of shop so there was burger there so I I remember buying this burger it's like oh this is my first American burger and I take a bite and I'm like this is it (laughs) like (laughs) I thought it was American burgers were awesome so fast forward it's like okay our situation, we're going to live with our relative. And I know in American culture, imagine a whole family living in your house. Think about that. Like, so we're four in a family, my mom and my dad, two adults, and then two basically young adults started to live your house. So there's going to be tension there. There's going to be, although my, my family, all our relatives, they're amazing, right? But there are issues, you know? You're eating their food. You're using their electricity. They're taking you to your job. You're using their spare room. You know, you're not washing your dishes. Like, because we, in the Philippines, we had servants to do that. I would never even have to, like, get water. One of the, I'll never forget her. She was uh, somebody I was stationed in Jackson with 20 years ago. And she said the exact same thing. She's like, no, we had a servant, a different one each day of the week, but we had servants to do all that. 
And she was this tiny little Filipino girl. She was in the Navy. So it's interesting that I'm hearing this from multiple people that growing up, they had servants in in the Philippines. That's also Hispanic culture, too. And there is some Hispanic culture in Filipino culture. Yes. We had four, actually, four servants. One for cook, laundry, gardening, and then, like, just a main, kind of like a general maintenance kind of type of guy. So... I never laundry or ironed or cooked for myself ever. Wow. Like at 20 years old. You know, another myth that is pretty strong besides math is uh, musical geniuses. It's kind of hard to debunk that myth. I don't think it's a bad thing at all, derogatory, but I remember being in the Philippines drinking and it wasn't even like, okay, maybe it was even my first beer before that. You can look away and be like, is that Metallica playing? And you look over and it's four Asian guys rocking out and they sound just like Metallica. This wasn't just one spot. This was every Asian place that we went to. I've been to uh, Japan, South Korea, Singapore, and all of those uh, smaller countries. And they are musically gifted. A lot of Asian people are musically gifted. I don't know if necessarily the myth is always bad, but I can see where it is bad when you're expected to be some way. But maybe being musically gifted isn't something that is so harped upon as it may be as strong as math. Because, I don't know, musically gifted usually means you're making more money than the guy that has math, right? I know I mentioned it, but uh, Cody Lee, have you ever heard of Cody Lee? Cody Lee is a, an Asian boy that has autism and it's really hard to understand what he's saying, man, but when he gets in front of that microphone, he makes me cry every time he sings, man. It's just absolutely amazing. And, you know, like I said, the examples of the Asian culture, you know, and especially with karaoke, man. Absolutely. Filipino karaoke parties. you got to have it. So is there a study that someone has done as far as Asians being musically gifted? I'm getting some information from learningforjustice.org. That says that, you are, <laughs> that Asians are musically gifted. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, especially towards you know the definition of a model minority myth, and that's one of the two. It's math and music. Because I think going back to my point earlier, culture is a big factor of who a person is. You know, and in our culture, we love music. Well, you know, it says a minority myth, but how does it impact the Asian community? It's not always a negative thing, but it could be hurtful. It can when that person is, as June said, not good at it. And it's a stressor like, hey, I'm supposed to be good at this, but I'm not. And that person will think about it and dwell on it. And that's where it can promote a negative self-image that, hey, I'm not living up to the stereotype. Especially if you're not good at math or music. Travis, thank you for that because I was trying to understand, you know, the negative effects. So... With that explanation, now I finally get it. So it's more of like, I have to keep up with that standard. The expectation of that label, right? You're being labeled that. Hey, everybody, I just want to give a shout out to 90Forward. Thank you for sponsoring this podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, 90Forward. In 2015, 904 began with a small, diverse group of friends who were open to discussing, challenging, and supporting each other in racial equity. Starting with conversations, the group committed to take action to build a more inclusive Jacksonville. Since then, the movement has grown to a network of thousands of volunteers. The 90 Forward Race Card Deck is a tool designed to help people take part in productive, authentic discussions about race. 
Their 200 Conversations for 200 Years initiative uses the race car discussions to commemorate Jacksonville's bicentennial birthday on June 15th. As they say, history brings healing. And we're doing our part by having five conversations throughout the month of June. What we're hoping to do with 90 Forward is ignite small conversations of racial healing and equality on a massive scale throughout the year 2022. Join the conversation powered by 90 Forward. Our community can heal from the racial wounds of the past and build a future where everyone thrives collectively. Collectively. Visit 904word.org for more information on the 200 Conversations Initiative and their race cards. That is 904word.org. The 904word is always looking for volunteers to become part of their initiatives. If you're interested in volunteering, email them at info at 904word.org. Can we... Can we talk about a little bit about Tiger Moms? Because I've heard about Tiger Moms. Tiger Moms. Ah, Helicopter Moms is another name for them. Soccer Moms. Like, cause, uh, my definition of Tiger Moms is like the mom that, that wants their kid to be all A's, to be like really good at like playing instrument. It's that overbearing mom yes. that has these high expectations for their kids. Yes. Yeah, that to me is like a tiger mom, the one that says, all right, you're going to get straight A's. You're going to go to Juilliard. You're going to be the next tennis star or golf star or whatever it is. And they're just, that's all they are 24-7. The kid has no social life outside of the sport or the academic that they're doing. That to me is more of a hardcore tiger mom. And I don't know if the term itself, tiger mom, is referring to an Asian mother. If it is, then I apologize for that because I did not know that as opposed to a helicopter mom, which is another one that I would kind of group in there together where they're always hovering over their child. Are you doing this? Are you getting this? Is this done? Is that done? More of a micromanaging mom. Here you go. Here's the definition. A tiger mom. A tiger mom is a strict or demanding mother who pushes her child or children to higher levels of achievement, especially by using methods regarded as typical of child rearing in China and other parts of East Asia, a tiger mom, a super competitive tiger mom. I mentioned that because maybe Asian kids are, are excelling because, you know, I myself, I am pushing my, my, my son, you know, I guess I can be like lion dad. I like that better than tiger dad. Because I remember, I mean, you, you can see these on YouTube, people, like comedians joke about, Asian parents, they're always like, oh, you got to have A's, you know? Yeah. So, and my son, he's actually 11. He picked it up. It's like, dad, you know, I saw this on YouTube and, and you're like that. Why do you keep asking me to, the standard is A's. Like I can be A, B, you know? So I guess my point is like, maybe because of their situation, because, you know, we're starting out in this new country, like we have to push our kids. You know, we have to, like, demand excellence from them. Sometimes demanding excellence, though, uh, pushes your kids in this separate direction. But I, I guess it would be more of a cultural thing. And maybe in the back of their head, they're like, man, my dad is something else, man. I was never pushed by my parents. So I saw the, the negative effect on that in myself. So now I know how it is to just be a, an average student. And it's no fun, like, from my experience. Okay. 
No, and th- that's the point of these cards is to bring it out and, and shed light and grow everyone's understanding, and thank you. The next card is, how do you talk about race issues with your children or family? First of all, uh, you have to identify what the race issue is and how your children hear about that. So it may be you and your wife talking about something. It could be something that you hear on TV, probably more specifically. It could be something at their school. So as parents, a sane parent knows that the influence, they basically copy what you do. And so if you're an F-bomb dropping type of mom like my wife, then your son might say the F word in school. And he has. The funny thing is, is that the speech teacher told us that he cannot say the word that starts with F. But that's clear as day. <laughs> but apparently he got in trouble because he blew it up in class. But he's not, the speech teacher said he couldn't say it. So I questioned whether he said it. And then my wife's response was like, good for you, buddy. I think it's funny. But do I want my kid blurting that out? No. The reason I say that is your kids mimic you. You're good and you're bad. That's the crazy thing. (laughs) Once you reach a certain age, then I think you should say whatever you want. I try not to cuss. It does slip out once in a while. I try not to in front of the kids because Uh I want them to know respectable communication between adults doesn't necessarily need the colorful interjections. And I've been called out on that because I'm like, yo, Travis, blah. And he's like, hey, dude, the kids are here. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? But maybe it's a lot because I just get excited or it's the old military thing. But I think if you go out and you have healthy relationships with other races, I have pictures of friends that are multiple different races. I mean, my son's first best friend was black. There is no animosity. If there's an issue with race that comes up in the family, my kids are a little bit too young for that now. I have an older daughter. I would just tell her, hey, everybody, you know, is treated equally or should not be judged on their race. That conversation has really not come up for us as a family. And a lot of it is because we just don't uh, get involved in that type of thing. But maybe it's because we're white. I, I would I would imagine that maybe a black family or like Travis, for example, has a mixed family with white and Asian and they're walking around. I wonder, do people like talk under their breath about Like, does that exist? Yeah. My family likes to gossip. I'm sorry, family, but I'm going to expose you guys. You know, I used to be guilty of this. I know for me, my definition of gossip is basically, you know, it, it might be true, but if it's damaging to that person and you're not supposed to let that person know, like, you know, they said it, you shouldn't say it. So this is a big issue in my family. So as you know, Filipino families are very, very close. If you want to have a good idea, like go to Thanksgiving with us, Christmas or Okay, New I'll Year, be there. What time? You know, sure, man. I'm sure the food like, is great. <laughs> you know. But it's crazy what what people say about other family members, you know, with gossiping. So I think gossiping is one of the issues, too, as far as, you know, with with the race. I agree with you, Jeff. Like, I think as it goes, if there is a situation, that's how I talk to my kids, too. If an issue comes up or something TV or something, I'll basically, hey, that's not the right way to do. Jesus always said, hey, love your neighbor as, you know, how you love yourself. But of course, that's kind of limited because what if you don't love yourself too much and that doesn't help the, the other person. So that's why he, Jesus kind of, before he moved on, he went to heaven. So he said, you know, love one another as I have loved you. 
So he kind of elevated that command of love, love others as yourself. So it's kind of like, you know, Travis or Jeff, how would Jesus love you, right? So when you do things, like how would Jesus would respond to you? And most of us, you know, when we do things, it's like he's going to respond with grace, a lot of patience, a lot of love, you know? So that's how I, as a Filipino-American, that's how I would do it. As far as culture-wise, we're very similar with America. Like we curse to... Sometimes this does come up and when because we make it a point to eat dinner at the dinner table every night. And then the news is on in the background and something will happen in the news and the kids will ask, they'll make a comment on it. And then that sparks a discussion. And then we talk about it. I think as, as Jeff said, we try to be very open and inclusive of all races. And from my self-proclaimed libertarian status, I, I don't want to cut off any walls or avenues of helping myself or my family by looking down on someone else. Look, if your money spends, we're friends. So I, I think talking to the kids about it is acknowledging that there are stereotypes, there are differences, and the stereotypes don't always fit. You can make a quick judgment on looks, but be open to change your initial judgment because everyone says, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, you do. That's just how it works. So after that initial judgment, just say, all right, this is what I'm expecting and listen to what they have to say and be respectful of what they have to say and try to understand what they're saying. Don't just listen to them, understand them. And then you can have a, a better conversation and you'll see that stereotype was completely wrong about this person. Maybe it's wrong about everybody. So then let's throw that stereotype out. But it's one at a time. It's not going to happen as a big group all at once. That's kind of how we would talk about it with our kids is be open. Always be prepared, but be open. Know your audience. So yeah, to have those conversations can be a little touchy. But I don't think they are within my household. Within my family, they could be because, you know, we've got the older generation and they are still a little stuck in their ways and they can be hard-headed, they can be bigoted, they can be prejudiced, they can be whatever. Racist? I, I wouldn't necessarily say racist, no, but definitely they can be bigoted or prejudiced or any of the other terms. I, I think that we've politicized the term racist so much that it's losing it's punch. Everything is racist. It, people forgot what a bigot is. People forgot mm. what a, being prejudiced is. You know, stereotypes are there for a reason. People are there to protect themselves first. So you make a snap judgment based on looks. Hey, the, they've got a bulge on their hip. Do they have a gun? I don't know. It's, it's for self-preservation is what a lot of these stereotypes were for. You're on guard, but when you start talking then you can make that deeper judgment, that more informed judgment of the person that you're speaking with. Appreciate that. The only thing that thought that came to my mind, other than agreeing with you, is uh, the term racist is basically a term based off of racism. And so if someone is practicing that ism, then they're racist. No, a racist is someone who believes their race is superior to all other races. Right. Now, someone being a bigot would be like someone using a stereotype or what's prejudice like oh you know what's what's the difference between those for our listeners 
obstinately or intolerantly devoted to his or her own opinions and prejudices. Someone who regards or threats the members of a group, such as a racial or ethnic group, with hatred and intolerance. So it's very close to being a racist, but a bigot is someone who's intolerant of a specific group. You know, it could be a whole bunch of groups, but a bigoted person is more of what people are talking about as opposed to a racist person, I think. I I know you shared how you talk to your kids. What about your wives? How do you talk to your wives about racism? That's interesting. That's a good question. Me and my wife, we, we actually see it very much the same. We don't have hate towards other groups, but we will joke on stereotypes when we see it played out, but not until it's played out. I'm not going to judge somebody based on the stereotype, but if I see this one always gets us, the little old Asian lady driving that doesn't signal and just kind of veers into the other lane, must be an Asian. And, you know, it's, it's a joke between her and I. We still make jokes and we joke about ourselves in a similar way. So how we talk to each other, we talk to each other because we are, you know, she is Asian, I'm white, and there's no other way around that. But we, we talk to each other as equals. But as far as the race, though, we were talking about race affect other things as well. My daughter, she wants to get into an Ivy League school. She has great grades. She's in honors and AP classes. But recently, there's been a lot in the news. There was bad press for the Ivy League schools on how they are capping and limiting the Asian admissions to the schools. Why does it have to be based on race? Because it's all based on demographics. When you look at, say, the percentage of the population, white, I think, male, female, just a, a rough breakdown. I'm I'm not sure if this is still accurate now, but I think it's like 67% white, and then black is like in the 20s, maybe teens. And then when you get to, I think Hispanic is the next one, and then Asians is even a lower percentage of the overall population. But they represented a high population of academia. Like Asians were maybe like 30 to 40% where other minorities were in the teens or even less percentage as far as admissions go. And whites were the, obviously, there's 67% of the country. There were more whites that are going to be there. So to cherry pick the information and say, oh, well, there's more whites getting into this school than that. No, they're that much more percentage of the population so they're going to be represented more in the schools so what do we tell our daughter about that does she put that she's white and asian or does she put that she's white or does she put that she's asian you know these are things that that i think people are thinking about these days when it comes to race what's going to hurt your chances to get that education or to get that foot in the door at the job do you even disclose it I know for us, we, we completely shut that option for our son to go to go to Ivy League because of, you know, they're harder on Asians. So we we're just like, you know what? You don't want us there, then we're not going there. We'll keep our money. You know, we'll keep our money. Yeah. That. Jeff, quick question. Hypothetically, if you see your wife, she did something of a racist type of action. How would you talk to her to kind of help her out? First, I would be like, hey, what's up with that? And give her the opportunity to explain herself. 
Or point out your perception. Or maybe. point out like, hey, did you ever think about it this way? But I've learned, you know, you got to choose your battles with your wife. We're out for some racist thing. I, You know, honestly, with my wife, I, I would never even fathom her coming up with something racist. I, just, I agree with you. I, I don't think she she would either. But with uh, her background and, and everything, and, you know, she's been in medical. She has helped a lot of people. I couldn't see that. Well, um, plus she grew up in a small town in Florida, and there's a lot of Mexican. She hung out with Mexican crowd. She's multicultural uh, in that sense. I guess where it kind of hurts people, I don't want to say hurts, but kind of uh, stumps people is like you were saying, like you, you only had Filipinos, and then when you came here, you're like, yo, what's, you know, this is different. When you're grown up in that culture, there is no like, hey, I'm the only white person in the room type of feeling. That's not really an issue. What is crazy, though, what is kind of cool, and I feel honored uh, if I'm the only white person in a crowd of a mixed, or whether it be Asian or black or Indian, you know, shout out to India. You've been listening to the Collective Perspective Podcast, a mature show with the intention of making a difference in society. Hey, everybody, you've been listening to Collective Perspective. For the whole month of June, we're sponsored by 904Ward. That's 904WARD.org. And they are on a mission to bring inclusiveness to this messed up world we live in. And it starts with your local community. And we have June Bacani with Bacani Media Group. Thank you for joining us. I love to hear the uh, perspective. That was very enlightening. Thank yes, you def- so much, guys. <clears throat> this is awesome. You guys are awesome and pretty fun. Thanks, man. We, definitely, we, pers- we have our moments. <laughs> right. Yeah, man, it was definitely an enlightening experience having you there. I don't want to give myself a pat on the back, but when I was talking to you, I was like, man, I really need someone that has a different perspective. And one of the most important things about this whole podcast is that we take into perspective other perspectives. It's not just about what you think because – you know what? Every podcast that Travis and I have done, we can honestly say that it's changed our lives for the better. I always take something positive away from these podcasts, yes. I always learn something that I didn't know before, and I, I, you need to do that on a daily basis. But you should be learning something on the regular. Yeah, on the it, regular for sure. It keeps you healthy. It keeps you fresh. keeps your mind sharp. And it keeps you real. Never settle. Always hustling. You've been listening to the Collective Perspective Podcast, a mature show with the intention of making a difference in society. So take a ride with us. Join us at the Collective Perspective Podcast, where your personal truths get a little power wash. Like what you heard? Subscribe to the Collective Perspective Podcast whenever you listen to your podcasts. You can also show support for our mission by going to buymeacoffee.com backslash collective pod and donating whenever you feel inspired to. We appreciate any help keeping the lights on to bring you thoughtful and researched content as part of this show. Visit the Collective Perspective Podcast show page on mtsjax.fm. Jacksonville's new music and multimedia network sponsored by Mixed Theory Studios. You can find the transcripts of this episode along with the show notes, material references, links you heard about, and more. Hey, I want to give a special shout out and a thanks to The Real J Dash, a Jacksonville hero, producer, and artist for sharing his original music with this show and to the Mixed Theory Studios for recording and production services. We couldn't have done it without either of them. Thank you so much.